we all say amen to that. Well, today we're wrapping up a series of messages entitled Rethink God. We looked at everybody's worldview, one of four that you can have, which is atheistic, deistic, pantheistic, or theistic, and talked about how that shapes us and what you think shapes us and molds us. And then last week we talked about uh, kind of some arguments for God, the cosmological argument, the moral argument, the fine-tuning argument, and then just kind of went back to the scriptures in Psalm 139 where it talks about the heavens declare the glories of God. And we just looked at the heavens and jumped from our Milky Way to the next star, to the next pulsar, to the next nebula, and, and just saw the greatness of God and, and his majesty on display. Today I kind of want to make all of that personal in the final message. I, I want to just kind of bring it home with does God really care about you? And that's what I want to speak to you about. Does God really care after you? Week after week, a gentleman came to a church, not ours, but to a church, and he went to his preacher and he said, I got a big problem. He said, when I go to bed at night, I can't sleep because I'm afraid of monsters under my bed. I know it sounds silly, but I, I can't get any sleep. Can you help me? Well, the preacher recommended prayer, and he came back and nothing worked. He said, read your Bible, and the guy went and read his Bible and still couldn't get any sleep because he was afraid of the monsters underneath his bed. He said, try singing some old hymns, and he couldn't sleep because he was afraid of the monsters that were underneath his bed. He tried sleeping with the lights on, sleeping with the curtains open, sleeping with the curtains shut. Nothing worked. One Sunday, he came to church, happy as a lark, man. He said, preacher, I got a great night's sleep. He said, oh, did my suggestion finally help you? And he said, no. He said, what do you mean no? He said, well, I talked to a carpenter friend of mine, told him my problem. I said, well, what did your carpenter friend say to do? He said, just cut off the legs of the bed. So I did, and now there are no monsters under the bed. Well, I don't know if you got monsters under your bed or not. I do know that in times of trouble, you turn to someone or something. And I do know that we all have times of trouble. And whether you turn to that someone or something, it makes all the difference in the world because we have to know and believe that God does care. When you're up against something you can't handle, it, when, you're, when you're facing life and, uh, and it, you feel like nobody cares about you, and sometimes we even as believers in Jesus Christ, I think, struggle silently with this thing. I know he's God, but does he really care about me. I want to introduce you to an old prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is kind of one of the big three in the post-exilic kind of framework, the end of the life cycle of the nation of Israel and Judah. They were one nation and then added a civil war and 10 tribes sided with the northern or Israel kingdom and then two tribes sided with the southern or Judah. And so it's during this time that three prophets arose, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. He's known as one of the big three. He was called to ministry early in life, and he was full of fire and passion. And he had heard about the great revivals and the great awakenings that God had used in other prophets in times gone by in the history of Israel. And a and as this prophet Isaiah, man, or Jeremiah, he ministered from like 640 B.C. to 570 B.D. You know, they go different way in time. And he was a prophet during five of the most turbulent kings 
either good or bad. He started with Josiah, and then finally everything just collapsed and internally imploded with the reign of Zedekiah. The prophet was a high and noble calling. And certainly when God called him to be a prophet, man, his family was proud, and, and he was the son of a priest, and, and God was going to, he just knew God was going to do great things in his life and in his heart. It was a prophet's ministry at times to foretell what was going to happen. And Jeremiah certainly did that. He said, if you don't repent, Judah, God will not take your sins lightly. Judgment will come if you keep walking away from God. He's saying, basically, God's going to get your attention if you keep going the way you're going. But sometimes the prophet would foretell. He would declare what saith the word of the Lord. The high priest would stand between the people and God and represent the people to God. The prophet would stand between the people and God and represent God to the people. So he would proclaim what thus saith the word of the Lord. And man, I am sure that he thought he was going to bring revival and renewal and passion and a great awakening and help turn Judah back to God, but that never happened. In fact, the more he preached, the harder the hearts of the people got. The more he called them to repentance, the more they went farther from the truth. There there was no repentance. There was no moving of God. There, There was no great revival. There was no great awakening. Nothing was going how he imagined it. You've been there. You've been there, whether as a a spouse, whether as a parent, whether as a worker, whether as a friend, you've been there. God blessed you with a marriage, and your home was going to be the different home. Your home was going to stand out when you said, I do, and and man, your home was going to be God-centered and spirit-filled, and you were going to live with passion and desire, and it was going to be your home that was going to be a place where folks who were hurting could come and find encouragement and truth from God's Word. And now you're 12, 15, 8, 7, 6 years down the road and there's no revival in their home there's no passion in your home there's just kind of day-to-day living and life stuff and the purpose and that calling that you felt so strong when you got married is just kind of you wonder does God really even notice you have children and maybe they're prodigal maybe they're wayward and man I'm telling you parenting adult children is like tough deal and maybe you've been there and, and your heart just breaks. And because the harder you try, the worse things get. And now you look around and, and you just go, does God really care? And so when we face those times, we have a crisis of belief. Now, a crisis of the belief is when your worldview, theistic, believing in one God who's all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, and so on. When your worldview collides with reality. I mean, God's got so many promises, and yet it seems like sometimes we collect on so few, and it leaves us, those of us who believe in God, and go, does God really care? Does God even know what I'm going through? Does God have any idea what I'm feeling right now? Have you ever been there? Sure you have. You, You cannot sit in here on a nasty, rainy day and go, I never really thought about that. We all have. When life and reality clashes with our worldview. Matter of fact, it's when we just simply cry out to God and we say, Come on, God, where are you in all of this? 
Jeremiah cried out to God so much, he became known as the weeping prophet, the crying prophet. He asked God, where are you in all of this? His long ministry spanned five kings from Josiah, Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, the last king. He had a ministry that spanned 40 years, and Jeremiah saw the abrupt fall of the Assyrian Empire, the steadily rise of the Babylonian Empire. He saw Nebuchadnezzar go from from a distant relation of Solomon to to a world power, and then all of a sudden he turns on Israel. And he unleashes the full fury of Babylon on Israel, on Judah, the people of God. Matter of fact, it was the worst day in Judah's history when Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem. And for two years, for two long years, no food could get in, no help could get in from the outside. For two long years, Nebuchadnezzar tried to starve the people into submission to giving up their faith in God, to following over the Babylonians' God, to doubt, to make them doubt the reality and the existence and the love of their God so that they could worship the idols of Babylon. And after two years... They finally heard the charge from the prince, the command from Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, to charge the city. And they ransacked the the city and they raped the women. They they kidnapped the best and the brightest of, of Judah and in the city of Jerusalem. And they led them out naked from Jerusalem carrying the Torah, the the Bible that they had in heavy bags full of sand just to feel the weight and the embarrassment of their burden. They went to the temple and and offered blasphemy and started. They took down the things of God and they put altars there. They made the musicians, they made the musicians sing to the idols of Babylon. Jewish history says that some musicians would not And they went to such a degree of their faith in God that they bit their fingers off so they would not play the musical instruments. But others didn't. Jeremiah lived during this day. He saw the flames burning and the smoke bellowing up into the heavens all around Jerusalem. He saw the capital city of Jerusalem fall. He saw the temple desecrated. He saw idols being worshipped, profane things being done in the holy place of God. Matter of fact, that day was so traumatic in 586 B.C. that it still has implications for those who believe in Judaism today. And in that day, Jeremiah just had to go, God, where are you in all of this? Don't you see the plight of your people? God, don't you care? That takes us to the book of Lamentations. Turn to chapter 3. The book of Lamentations is a short little book. And you can clearly sense the weight of his own personal failure. He was the prophet and people didn't repent. He was the preacher and they didn't respond. And he felt the weight and the loss of the burning city and the desecrated temple. And at the lowest probably point in his life, And around this time, he writes the book of Lamentations. I I want you to try to sense where he's at in all of this. 
and his desperation and his brokenness. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1, and I just kind of want you to follow through. And, and he says, I am the man. He, he's talking on two levels here. He's, he's going to talk about his own personal struggle and his own personal feelings. Then he's going to jump and, and represent the people of Judah to God. And then he's going to come back and, and, and talk about his own feelings. And, and he said, I'm the man. He said, I am that man. And that phrase just keeps going over and over and over again. He said, I'm that man that's in darkness without any light. Look at verse 2. He said, I'm the, I'm the one who just is distressed and I experience. And what he's saying is I feel the absence of God, God's light. And I'm walking in the darkness. Where's God in all of this? And he struggled. Look at verse 4. He said, I'm skin and bones, basically. And it pictures the physical distress due to age or illness or both. And his body is just, he has no strength. He has no energy. He has no passion. He says, man, I'm that man. I'm just skin and bones. Look at verse 5. He said, man, I'm that man. I'm in bitterness and tribulation. Not only is he in physical anguish, but he's in emotional anguish as well. Man, he is just messed up emotionally. He saw the capital city burn. He saw the temple being desecrated. It would be one thing this morning if you drove into the parking lot and saw the church house burning down. It would be another thing for you to come into this place and see a shrine to Buddha or Confucius. And for me to tell you today, we're going to worship that thing. It, it was heavy on his heart. And all the time he was wondering, God, where are you in all of this? I'm hurting, I'm aching, man, I'm in physical, emotional anguish. God, when are you going to show up? Look at verse 6. He, he says, man, I'm the man that died long ago. He was basically saying when I saw Jerusalem burn, when I saw the temple desecrated, he said there was something that died in me. It took something out of me that I don't know if I'll ever live again, if I'll ever truly enjoy or experience the joy of life again. You've been there. Some of you have gone through the, just through the pain of divorce and you may wonder, will I ever enjoy life again? Some of you are struggling financially and you just go, man, I just get so tired of this. Man, it's just a daily grind and a daily struggle. I don't know ever if I'll enjoy life again. You've been there. He said, I'm the man that died long ago. God, do you care? Now, this is the prophet, one of the big three, who was saying, I just, man, I died a long time ago when I saw my city burned down and the temple of God desecrated and I'm the one to proclaim God's word and the people didn't repent matter of fact if you go to verse 8 he says I'm the man that, that God doesn't even hear his prayers that God's quit listening to you felt like that haven't you you pray and you pray and you pray and nothing. You pray and you pray in silence. You pray and you ask God to move and there's no moving. You've been there. Jeremiah says, I've been there. Does God care? Look at verse 10 through 12. He talks about a bear, a lion, and an arrow. And, and he's talking about how travel in that day just causes terror and, and fear in your heart and anxiety because of the unknown. And, and now he's saying, God, because I haven't heard from you. God, because I've lost hope. God, because I wonder if you even 
care. It's, it's just there's this fear and anxiety that wells up like a traveler in his day. Verse 14, he says, I'm the man that's the laughingstock. He's the butt of everybody's jokes. Verse 17, he says, I'm the man that's lost all peace and happiness. He, he, he's just basically saying that this describes the sum total of blessings. And he says, I have none. They are totally absent from my life. You talk about God and I feel nothing. Man, this is a broken man of God. This is a man who's in a crisis of belief. What he knows about God and what he sees in reality, the city burning down and the temple desecrated, just so collided and stood in opposition to each other that it fostered the question, does God really care? Then he talked about in verse 18, his endurance. He said, man, I'm the man that's lost all hope. And you can read it right there. It's an expression of personal hopelessness. And man, it just builds to this crescendo of despair and despair and gloom and doom. And it's just like, I have got no hope. And then I wondered if he put his pen down for a second. And then you come to verse 21. And verse 21 through verse 24 is a passage everybody ought to have memorized, at least highlighted in your Bible, written in the front of your Bible on a bad day, when you lose hope, when you feel like the joke, when you are fearful and anxiety-driven, turn to Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. When the presence of God feels absent in your life, Turn to Lamentations 3, 21 through 24. Text. Listen to what it says. In verse 21 it says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He's saying, wait a minute. I'm the man, but God is still God. I'm the man, and I'm struggling. God doesn't need Jerusalem to sit on a throne because he doesn't sit on a throne in Jerusalem. He sits on the throne of the universe. I'm the man, but God is still God. Wait a minute, God doesn't need a temple because his glory is and fills the temple of this universe. I'm a man, but God is still God. And all of a sudden, from the valley of despair, you can see Jeremiah begin to take off. Oh my goodness, look what he says. He says, but this this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Did you hear that? His mercy never comes to an end. No matter if your Jerusalem burns down, no matter if your temple is dedicated, desecrated, no matter if your marriage is struggling financially, it's a trial or, or on the job, it's just you're fed up. He's saying God's mercy supersedes all of that. They never fail. They're now new every morning. Great, great, great is your faithfulness. If you just look at those three verses, you'll find that 
Jeremiah gave us kind of three things to hang our hats on as far as God is concerned. He said, first of all, there's God's great love for us. He talks about God's great love for us. He said, it's steadfast. He said, it is steadfast. Now, here's the deal of steadfast. Let's see. That wall back there is a sheetrock wall. If you run hard enough, fast enough, you're going to go through that wall and end up in the foyer. You go through this wall over here, you're going to hit a brick wall, and no matter how many times you run into it, you're not going through it. One is steadfast. One you can bust through. He's saying, my love is steadfast. It is always there. You can count on it. It never goes away. The Hebrew word for love is said. It's used over 246 times. Matter of fact, it's such a complicated word that we have a hard time translating it into the English. And that's why different translations of the Bible and even different places in the Bible translate it as loving kindness, steadfast love, faithful love. There's two ideas always, always incorporated in this word, hased, the Hebrew word. And it's the idea of love and loyalty. God's love for us is not based on a temple in Jerusalem. God's love for us is not based on the city of Jerusalem. God's love for you, God's love for me, God's love for his plan for your life, man, it is based on the faithfulness of God. Let that sink in just a minute. Does God love you? He absolutely loves you. Absolutely. Matter of fact, he's got great love for you. I like what somebody said. He says, God's love means he overflows in faithfulness, just like the rivers overflow its banks and drenches and wets everything around it. God's love overflows our hearts and drenches our lives with his faithfulness. See, you can look at the world around you, you may have doubts and you may have questions, but I'm telling you, if you look at God above you on the throne and God inside of you, you realize that his love for you is great. You'll also understand his mercies is great. Look at verse 22. Man, his mercy is great. It's just right there. It's so simple to get. His steadfast love for the Lord never ceases and his mercy never comes to an end. He not only, Jeremiah not only remembers his love, but he remembers his mercy and his compassion Man, don't give up because God's mercy never quits. Don't quit praying for your marriage. Don't quit praying for your children. Don't quit trying to live the life God's called you to live in front of those that you work with. Don't quit doing right because God's mercies never run out. Isn't that great? That no matter how bad your bad is, his mercy is always there for us. No matter how heavy your heart, God's mercy is always there for us. Matter of fact, flip real quick to Psalm 136. Flip real quick to Psalm 136. There was a a time where Israel struggled with this. And so they wrote a psalm and and they would talk about the wonderful works of God. And it was a a responsive kind of song then. And the the priest or the worship leader would say the first part. Then the congregation would respond, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the priest would say, the preacher would say, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. And the congregation would say, for his steadfast love endures forever. So we're going to do that just for a second, all right? All right, here we go. All right, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. 
Okay, now see, you say that like, okay, it's my duty to say that. Yeah, it's just a thing. And, and see, that's kind of the way most of us live our Christian life. Yeah, I know, I, I know I'm supposed to go to church. I just do that. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I just do that. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to be a man or a woman of faith. Yeah, I, I just do that. See, if if you've been to the bottom, if you've been to the place where Jeremiah describes himself in verses 1 through 18, if you have been to the point where you had absolutely no hope, and then all of a sudden, on the very last thread of the rope, you reach out and God's still on the other end. And he delivers you. He rescues you. He comes to your defense. He's your strength in your time of weakness. Then if you've been there and you realize that it is his love that endures forever and that you're here today because his love endures forever and the stars are in the sky because his love endures forever and the sun shines somewhere in America today because his love endures forever. And if you see the moon tonight, you'll know it's because his love endures forever. And if you see the galaxies around us, you'll know it's because his love endures forever. And if you look at the past of your life and you know it and you remember the day that you got saved, your heart will leap for joy and say his love endures forever. Even though I may be struggling today, even though I may be hurting today, even though I may be having a crisis of belief today, there's one thing I'll hang everything on, that his love for me endures forever. That's all wrapped up in his great mercy. But then it's great faithfulness as well. That's the third thing that he gives to us. Not only great love, great mercy, but man, great faithfulness. Well, what's he faithful to do? Well, he's faithful to forgive. He's fit. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to sympathize with us. He's faithful to sympathize with us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, listen, we do not have a high priest talking about Jesus Christ, who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's the King James Version. Who cannot be touched with the feelings of our distress, with the feelings of our emotions. In other words, God knows exactly what you're going through. And he not only empathizes, he sympathizes, and he's right there with you. You ever hurt so bad you can't describe the hurt to anybody? And so what do we do? We just look at somebody with this dull kind of voice, kind of like he did that God endures for everything, you know? And you just kind of say, yeah, I'm fine. And you're dying on the inside. Jesus understands that. He's going to a cross and not one of his friends stepped by him. Except John the apostle, and he was just simply there probably to take care of the mother and the ladies. And he says, God is not a, or we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our emotions or infirmities, but is in all points tempted, tested, tried like we are, yet without sin. 
You say, wait a minute, he was God, he could do that. Yes, he was fully God and he experienced the divinity of Godhead, but he was fully man and he experiences every emotion that you and I experience. And yet without sin, he understands how you feel. That's why Peter said, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Because he's a God who, who understands the deepest hurt of your heart. It's wrapped up in his great faithfulness to us. Not only is he a faithful God to emphasize, empathize with us, but he's faithful to deliver us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 says, God will always provide a way of escape. Remember that verse? He always has an exit strategy for you. You just have to be patient and seek his face. That's verse 25 in Lamentations 3. And then the final thing that he does, he's faithful to keep us. He's faithful to keep us. Listen, God God hangs on to you. He, He doesn't turn his back on you. We're the ones who turn our back on him. He doesn't walk away from us. We're the ones who walk away from him. He doesn't give up on us. Sometimes we're the ones who give up on him. Jeremiah was right at that crisis moment of belief where he could have gone either way. And he said, yet. He said, but. In spite of everything that I feel, in spite of everything that I see, this is what I know. Great is the faithfulness of God. And I'm not going to pin my hopes on Jerusalem. And I'm not going to pin my hopes on the temple. I'm going to pin my all on the faithfulness of God in heaven. Great is his faithfulness. In times of trouble, we need to imitate Jeremiah who looked away from himself. And he looked to the Lord and waited on the Lord in patience and faith. And too often we look to our own selves to fix it and provide the answers. And that's not it at all. Matter of fact, just look at verse 25 and 26 real quick. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Boy, I'm bad at that. And to the whole soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation, for the deliverance of God. Why? Because great is God's faithfulness. Because great is God's faithfulness. He says, I say to myself, look at verse 23. We didn't read verse 23. That his love and his mercies are new every morning. Morning by morning, his mercies I see. Great is thy faithfulness. He says to myself, or so then Jeremiah said, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I love that verse. I I looked up the word portion. I, I wasn't quite sure what it meant because... My wife's trying to help me keep my portion small. God wants us to have a big portion. It actually implies the word territory. That God is the land that I live in, and it's a big land. (laughs) Matter of fact, you can't get off his land. It's his territory. Therefore, I hope in him. He said, I'm Jeremiah saying, listen, though my city's burning down and my life seems to be falling apart and I feel like an object failure and people laugh at me and scorn at me and I'm just kind of hopeless and helpless. Here's the one thing I will do. I will put my hope not in what I can do, but in what God can do in his faithfulness, in his mercy and in his love. So what do you do? You say, God, you're my portion. You say, God, you're my hope. 
does God really care about you? From a man who went from the status of a prophet to saying that I died a long time ago, that he has no hope. All of a sudden, his soul is revived in verse 25 and 26, and the answer is unequivocally, absolutely, yes, 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 does God care for you? Yes, he does. Why? Because of his great love for you and his great mercy for you and his great faithfulness for you and his love never changes, his mercy never runs out and his faithfulness is something you can always count on. So put your hope in it. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? See, there's some of you right now.